Reminding us that we have good reason to receive one another, here is Pastor Ed Taylor. We think we're the only sane person on the earth, but someone looks at us, that guy's weird, man. He's a... There are nuances in our life by the way you were raised, things you picked up, things that you've done, issues in your life. God's working them all out in your life, but our attitude needs to be, let's receive one another. You receive me, I receive you, and the body of Christ is filled with the agape love of Jesus Christ. Because a a church that's not filled with love, let me tell you, is not very attractive to people that don't know Jesus. This is amazing grace. It's been said we all come from the same mold, yet some are a little moldier than others. While we chuckle at that, one thing is for sure, God loves them, and we should too. But that can be a challenge, I'm sure you'd agree. Well, on today's Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor, we'll get some much needed help. We're in the book of Romans chapter 15, and about to be reminded of our call to love those God loves. Of course, that's everyone. Here now is Pastor Ed. The command is to receive one another, to receive one another. You know, that person next to you right now has serious problems. You know that, right? You know, there's so much weirdness in this room right now. (laughs) And you guys are all laughing. Yeah, there's a lot of weird people. No, you're the one that's weird. There's just uniqueness. We've all got issues in life. There's a, you know, we, we think we're the only sane person on the earth, but someone looks at us, that guy's weird, man. He's a, and we just, there are nuances in our life by, yeah, the way you were raised, things you picked up, things that you've done, issues in your life. God's working them all out in your life, but our attitude needs to be, let's receive one another. You receive me. I receive you, and the body of Christ is filled with the agape love of Jesus Christ. Because a a church that's not filled with love, let me tell you, is not very attractive to people that don't know Jesus. That's another thing that you might see on the media, that the church and pastors are all portrayed in the worst possible light. It's as if you listen to the world like a church, a body of believers, does absolutely nothing good for this world. They're so wrong. But that's the message. So that finally, when someone gets over the barrier to maybe walk through the doors here or hit you up at work, you need to be in the spirit. Because, you know, being in the flesh, you can do a lot of damage. A believer that lives in the flesh can hurt a lot of people. And we want to be careful there. We want to receive one another. Look past the outward. Ask God to give you a glimpse of someone's heart and to see the value that a human being is. Why? Because heaven is going to be filled with diversity. Every tribe, every tongue, Every nation, we're going to be seen together with people that have been saved from all sorts of backgrounds, whether it's the Middle East, whether it's in Asia, whether you know, India, China, Korea, North, everywhere there are going to be believers that have been delivered from all sorts of things, becoming a part of the body of Christ. You know, the church in Rome had issues with prejudice toward ethnic groups. Because that's what he says here. I want you to see it. 
It's not just something that we deal with. Even the church in Rome in verse 8, notice, says, Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made to the fathers. And so this is to the Jewish people. Jesus came to save Jews. And so those that were Jewish are going to be amen, right on, yes. But I want you also to notice, beginning in verse 9, that he also came to save the Gentiles from the beginning of time. It wasn't some new thing that God changed his mind. He's always wanted to reach Gentiles. It says that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. For this reason I'll confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again he says rejoice O Gentiles with his people. And again verse 11 praise the Lord all you Gentiles. Laud him all you peoples. And again Isaiah says there shall be a root of Jesse. And he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles in him the Gentiles shall hope. You see, there was tension even between the Jews and the Gentiles, their, their upbringing, their ethnic background, who they were. And God is saying, no, 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 I'm saving people from Jews and Gentiles. That's been my plan all along. He goes back to the scriptures and he quotes from Psalms. Then he quotes from Deuteronomy. Then he quotes from the Psalms again. Then he quotes from Isaiah. And this has been a consistent theme that God desires to reach the Gentiles. And of course, Jesus became a Jew to fulfill scriptures. He took the gospel to the Jew, but also to the Gentiles. He reached out to the Samaritans. He reached out to those outside. I mean, when, when he gives his commission to the church, what does he say? He says, I want you to wait in Jerusalem for the power from on high, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit comes upon you, you're going to be my witnesses. Where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and where? The uttermost parts of the earth. It's been God's heart all along. To reach anyone that will call upon his name. And church, it's very, very important. If God is dealing with areas of prejudice in your heart, crucify them. You're not better than anyone. I'm not better than anyone. Truly at the foot of the cross, that's the great equalizer, isn't it? We're all in the same need of a holy and righteous Savior when we're at the cross. And it changes our mind and our perspective on people when our eyes are firmly fixed on Jesus. And so as you grow in grace here, prejudice needs to be dealt with. It needs to be dealt a fatal blow, especially as the days in which we live are growing shorter and shorter. It'll just open up new avenues of ministry for you. And you won't be surprised if you're sitting next to someone that's radically different from you. We happen to be blessed to be in a very diverse community. And therefore, our church is very diverse. It reflects the community that we're in. And it's so wonderful to watch God do what he's doing among us. To watch him work in such a way where people are getting saved all, out of all sorts of things. From all sorts of places. And he just continues to work as we continue to watch his faithfulness. And so in a difficult section, I'm sure it was difficult for the Romans as much as it may be difficult for us. He ends in verse 13 with just this beautiful uplifting intercession for all the people. I want you to notice he doesn't mention any specific group. He goes, oh, okay, I'm going to pray for you Jews now. I'm going to pray for you. No, he just prays for the church. And he says, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's just beautiful that you would have hope. May you be filled with joy and peace. May you have hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because that's what we truly need to get along with one another. To receive one another in grace. Now, as we head out, 
a couple things I want to leave you with. In remembering to receive one another in grace. First of all, I want to encourage you not to forsake these times of gathering that we have as a church. Saturdays and Sundays and Wednesdays and the larger gatherings. I know that there are some movements today that say, oh, the larger gatherings, no, they're too big, you shouldn't do that. But the larger gatherings are so sweet and so wonderful. There's just a wonderful work of the Spirit when you come together with other believers. I know that sometimes the Internet is used as uh, an opportunity. Maybe the kids are sick and you tune in on the Internet, but the Internet can never become a substitute of gathering together. You never can allow the radio to be a substitute of gathering together with the saints. And some would go, no, we need smaller groups. Man, it's really good to be in smaller groups. We're seeing more and more small groups develop here at Calvary. Get involved in one. Make it a part of your life, but don't forsake the larger gatherings. They're sweet times. You know, I know it's hard for the small groups. I was talking to a couple last night. First few weeks they're in our church. The Lord really speaks to them. Get involved in a small group. Now, before I even asked them how it was, I asked, I asked them, were you afraid? And she said, oh, yeah, I was afraid. As a matter of fact, Pastor, we drove to the house and we were outside on the curb for a long time determining whether we were going to go in or not because you got to realize, you know, you're going into a room. In your mind, you're, rel- you're thinking they're relatively strangers, but they're not. You'll find out it's not that way at all. You'll get over that hump right away and that home fellowship or that men's ministry or the homeschooling group or all the small groups. We have the biting homeschoolers. We have the mom's group. We have just tons of small groups here. They'll embrace you. They'll love you. They'll take you in. You'll have new friends almost instantly and you'll get through the shyness and the things. So yeah, small groups are important, but let them not replace these larger times. Something happens when God gets his people together and they sing together. I don't know about you. You're probably like me. You know, when, when the worship leader kind of steps back from the microphone and says, you guys sing it, you know what I do? I stop singing because I want to hear you guys. It is so cool to hear the church sing. But if we all stop singing, then we aren't going to hear anything. And, and, and the worship leaders go, hey, aren't you guys singing? You know, so you want to hear each other sing. Sometimes you just pause and you go, oh my, my life is messed up, but I hear my brothers and sisters singing. Or God uses a time of Bible study that just, boom, gets you because you were here. The benefit of you stepping out and going, I'm going to be with you. Get, somebody gets to pray with you. Somebody discerns on your face. There's tough things going. God tests you in the parking lot. He tests you over here. You're growing up. And we find so many reasons to forsake the gathering. Please, please, please do not forsake the gathering of the saints together in these larger times. I mean, truly, if we looked at it, We need to be getting together as much as we can to be built up in the things of the Lord. We need this time individually. We need it together. Something special happens when we hear the scriptures, when we study the word together, when we sing together. There's a touch of the Holy Spirit, just the graciousness of God. Something happens when we stick around, you know, something wonderful happens. We stick around, you know, we come to one service for ourselves to receive from the Lord, but then we stick around another service and we serve and our gifts are able to be used. There's just something about gathering together that we don't want to forsake. So please, guys, don't do that. Don't forsake these gatherings because this is a time where God builds you up. And and one of the things you'll find out that if you do forsake it for a while, your spirit will start to dry up. You need to be with other believers to be reminded that you're not alone. 
even if we differ on things, even if there's diversity among us, and there are all the differences that we might see in one another, we can accept that in one another. So don't forsake that. And number two, I want to exhort you in unity. Would you turn over to Philippians chapter one, please? Turn a few pages to the right. There's Galatians, then Ephesians, then Philippians there. Just want to look at one verse, and then we'll go off into the, into the world this week. God's going to use you greatly. He's going to use you to reach people, to minister to people, to serve people, to love people. It's so awesome that he would do that. But God, he wants to build unity among us, not division. And I love this verse in verse 27, chapter 1. It says, only let your conduct, this is Philippians 1, 27, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether that I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So two things. Number one, stand together, church. Stand together for the gospel. Understand that these are your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Stand together. A divided church is a weak church. Just as a divided home is a weak home, a divided church is a weak church. And whether you've been involved in major division in a church, or you've heard about it, you know what devastation division brings in a church. Fortunately for us as a church, we have been spared from major division for over nine years, and we thank God for it. We've had our issues, you know. We've had little things that have come up, and that's always going to come up when you put people together, but major division, God has spared us from it. He has brought unity among people from all walks of life, It's so wonderful, but we can't let our guards down. We need to maintain, as Paul told the Ephesians, maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And disunity begins not with large groups. Disunity begins with one person and one heart at a time. And so you want to be careful. Stand fast together. We're co-laborers together. If we have differences, let's work them out in the Lord. You know, if it's major sin issues, perhaps, then we might need to get the leadership of the church involved. But most of the time, it's little, little things. And it's not going to help the church at all, division. In Mark chapter 3, verse 25, it says, If a house is divided against itself, Jesus says, That house cannot stand. A divided church is going to fall, is going to fail. A divided home, a divided marriage, going to fall. It's going to fail. You know, division is... Division is one of the oldest but most effective tools that Satan uses against believers, against the church, against us. Too often the world sees the church as fractured and not as smooth, healthy body. And Paul says, I just want to hear that you guys are standing together. If I can come to you, I'll see it myself. But I can't come to you. All I want to hear is you guys are in unity. Stand together. But not only that, notice number two. He says, just not only that you stand fast, but at the end he says that you strive together. That word strive literally means to labor to the point of anguish. As a matter of fact, we get the word anguish from the Greek word. That our hearts would be to strive together to fight a common enemy instead of fighting each other and wasting our energy and wasting our time. Strive together, not against each other. Instead of fighting each other, fight together against a common enemy. The picture here, too, is is one of a team struggling together to win. And so as a church, we want to maintain that unity. Together, we can be so strong, so vibrant, 
so full of life. But a house divided cannot stand. I mean, there are a lot of reasons why Christians fight each other. I mean, one of them, we just walk in the flesh. We're just in the flesh. We just put our feet down and we dig in and then pride comes in. And now it was just a little thing, but now my reputation's on the line. So if I give in, I might have to humble myself. Well, I can say this, that humbling yourself is actually the best decision that you can make when there's division, when there's issues. Just humbling yourself asking for forgiveness or, you know, trying to reconcile or, you know, restitution, whatever it might be. If just one person chooses to humble themselves, then God has a channel with which to work in that situation, in that relationship. Marriages are healed that way. Friendships are healed that way. Churches are even healed that way. So you want to be careful not to walk in the flesh, but walk in the spirit. You want to be careful to keep your eyes firmly fixed on Jesus. You want to be careful not to harbor any kind of prejudice in your heart. You want to be careful to understand that you're fighting the real battle. And as we combine our efforts and energies together as a group, you know, one one of us can probably make some progress, but all of us can really take some territory, you know, that the kingdom of God can really grow through a vibrant, loving congregation like us here at Calvary. God is using you. And God, he desires to use you even more. But be careful. Learn how to receive one another right here. Look past the outward. If you carried anything over from your old life before Christ, crucify it in Christ. You don't need to carry it into this new life. You can start afresh and you can start new so that you become this beautiful channel where God can flow his Holy Spirit through. And you'll be amazed what God can do. And who you might meet in church one day. That God has used someone else to reach them. And boom, now you're wants enemies in the world. Now you're brothers and sisters in the Lord. That's the church. And it's a good thing that we get to be a part of it. A good thing indeed. You're listening to Pastor Ed Taylor with today's Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed, it's been said the difference between gathering with the church and watching it online is the difference between watching a thunderstorm on TV and being in one. But with COVID-19 in our midst, many are watching services online out of necessity. Have any thoughts on how to not just watch passively, but actively to capture some of the thunder and lightning? That's an interesting illustration. I've never heard it put that way before, but it really does paint a picture of how important it is for us to be prepared as we're watching online. Now, you know, Larry, we have broadcast our services online since they invented the technology. So we've been doing this a while Uh, and encouraging people. I remember when we first adopted online technology, um, a lot of my friends were like, oh, no, you can't do that. People won't come back to church, and they'll just watch online. And little did we know, and little could we have predicted that there would come a time where all we could do was provide services online for a short season. And so here we are. Uh, Many churches have hybrid models. We have a hybrid model right now where we are open again, but we've got limited space because of the restrictions the state put on us, and and we are wanting to, to distance socially and be careful with one another. So we have a very large group of people watching us online, literally from around the world. So we put this together for our church. 
And let me give you a few recommendations that we gave to our church I want to give to you. How to attend church online. Number one, get out of bed and get dressed at the right time. Like, follow your normal routine. It'll put you in the right mindset for worship. So get up, get dressed, put your shoes and socks on. Believe me, I'm not uh, wanting this to be legalistic. You you have your jammies and your coffee. God's not going to judge you for that. But you want to to engage online, number one, get out of bed and get dressed. Number two, go through your Sunday routine. Uh, go ahead and wake up and have coffee or ha- make breakfast, whatever your normal routine was, in- including hurry up, we're late, get downstairs if necessary. But gather the family. Number three, gather together as a family, including the kids. Don't don't have it up on the, on the TV or on your iPad and then do something on the side. No multitasking. Worship is a family activity, and this is a great time to disciple your kiddos and get them ready and explain the Bible to them and, and gather together. Number four, stream to the largest screen possible in your house, which is probably your flat screen TV. The goal is to make it feel like you are there. I know it. you could put it on your phone, you could put it on your iPad, and I encourage you to use what you have. But if you can and you know how to do it, stream it to the largest screen in the house. Next, engage as if you were there. If you were in the room, you'd do very little to disrupt everyone in the room. You wouldn't get up. You wouldn't go make another cup of coffee. uh, You wouldn't walk around. You would engage as if you were in the room. And one of the ways that you can do that is to sing along loud and proud. It may feel a little weird, but it also feels weird for the people that are leading worship in an empty room. And, and it's really not weird at all. Sing your heart out. Sing in your front room. The, the lyrics are on the screen, and you can follow along, learn the songs, and be a part. And then finally, preach with the preacher. Uh, say amen when you normally would. Clap when you normally would. Shout. Uh, take notes. Have your Bible open. Uh, pray in the beginning. Pray at the end. Uh, make your home a sanctuary and engage in the service, because it is... A real service, just like radio. In the day, radio was seen as, oh no, it's not real. You'll never be able to to have the same experience. And it's true. Radio is different. Watching online live is different. We happen to be a church that has, we still are doing it live. And so the message is a little different. Depending on each service, we're, we're doing it live. Now we have people back in the room now, but nothing like it was. We're very limited to the amount that the state has re, has re, requested and it's not that it's not the same it's definitely different but we're doing our best to engage everyone in real worship in the moment for everything that you're going through so just to recap get out of bed and get dressed go through your sunday routine gather together as a family stream to your largest screen possible sing along loud and proud and preach with the preacher and i know god will honor you as you join in online Thanks again, Pastor Ed. And I should mention, you can watch our services at Calvary Church by going online to calvaryco.church. And friend, if you'd like a replay of today's message, stop by aboundinggraceradio.com. 
We also offer a free podcast, too. And you can read Pastor Ed's blog there as well. We've also made it super easy to donate to the ministry, and there's a place to contact us, too. Speaking of which, we'd sure like to hear from you. Let us know what you think of our study in Romans and if you're finding these daily studies helpful to your walk. We'd also very much appreciate your support as we present Abounding Grace here over the radio. Again, go to AboundingGraceRadio.com. We also offer an app that makes listening to Pastor Ed's teachings really easy to do. You can download the free app by searching for Calvary Aurora. Each month, Pastor Ed picks out a book that he believes can really help you grow in grace and be the person God wants you to be. Our pick of the month is The Third Option by Miles McPherson. I don't have to remind you that we're living in a racially divided nation. You may have even heard it said Sunday morning is the most segregated time in America today. Pastor Miles shares openly what has led to this great divide, both within the church and across the country. He believes instead of choosing one of two sides, there is a third option, one that is proven to bring people together and promote genuine peace. That's the third option. And we'll gladly send you a copy for a donation of $25 or more. We ask that you call to place an order at 877-30-GRACE. That's toll-free, 877-30-GRACE. We'll return to Romans next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. May God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.